All right, well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. We'll read a few verses there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you, and we'll be on page uh, 874 uh, in the pew Bible. Most of you already know that I grew up in northwest Alabama in Double Springs, a, a sprawling metropolis of about a thousand people, two red lights. Uh, but Double Springs is right in the heart of the Bankhead National Forest, which is about 190,000 probably. No, to, oh, it's about 200,000 200, acres or so. And in the Bankhead National Forest is the Sipsi Wilderness, which is about 25,000 acres of just high bluff walls, uh, creeks and crags and um, hiking trails. And every year, it seems, somebody gets lost in the Sipsi Wilderness. And it really is a wilderness. Last March, a 70-year-old pastor from Birmingham got lost. And for four days, people searched for him. He was alone. There's virtually no cell phone service there. It was raining. And so there was not much hope that he was going to be found. But after four days, uh, he was located by this search group who had come down from Ohio to assist the authorities in finding him. I mean, so there was lots of resources used, helicopters, this team, sheriff's department. Um, but it was interesting to follow that on social media because everybody, I mean, it was just it was just so much sadness and worry and anxiety as, as the, the story began. But when he was found, just the, the, the 180 in the posts uh, of, of just jubilation and excitement and joy that he had, he had been found. And, and really, that's a little picture of heaven, a little picture of Christ's pursuit of us, that when we are lost and we are found, that there's great joy in heaven. Um, and it doesn't matter, right? If you were the unlucky person this morning who couldn't find their car keys and, and you stop everything to, to try to find those, there's even joy in that, right? When you find your car keys, you're excited. There's, there's a burden that's been lifted. Even that is, is a small taste of God's pursuit of us. And so this morning, what I want us to see in Luke 15 in these first seven verses is the heart of God for the lost, and I want us to see that we have a Savior who not only gives, but also forgives. And so let me read Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. 
So there are principles that we're going to apply to this passage of Scripture that can be also applied to the next two passages there in chapter 15, the parable of the lost coin and then the parable of the two sons. But I think it's really important to, to rightly interpret this, that we look at the introduction there at the beginning of chapter 15 in those first two voice, uh, verses. So you've got these tax collectors and sinners being drawn to Christ, and it's ruffled the, the feathers of the Pharisees and the scribes to the point that they're saying, look, this, here, look at Jesus. Not only is he receiving sinners, he's, he's sitting down and dining with sinners. Now, if you are using the New International Version of the Bible, you'll see that the word sinners is in quotation marks there. Because what Luke is trying to communicate is the Pharisees actually called these people in public, in private, sinners. So could you imagine interacting with folks who to your face referred to you as a sinner? Because we are broken, we're unclean, the tax collectors were, were crooks in Jesus' day. They took more money than they were supposed to. They were thieves, extortioners, liars. And so most of the public absolutely hated these men. The sinners that the Pharisees are referring to here, these are prostitutes, drunk, the unclean, those people that they were supposed to keep their distance from. And they are so appalled that not only is Jesus moving toward this group of people, he's going to sit down and have a meal with them. And let me tell you why that's important. Because you and I are in that group labeled sinners. We are unclean, we are broken because of our sin, we're often outcast and we're often rejected. And had Jesus not come to this earth to move toward sinners, to go after that which was lost, you and I would have no hope. And so as we work through this, and we talk about the heart of God for the lost, we're talking about the heart of God for you and for me. Those who are in Christ, those who are saved, who belong to God the Father. Maybe you're here and you feel extremely unclean. That this week was just a bad week of sin, of running away from the Lord, of rebelling against His will. Well, there's great news here in these verses because it is exactly you whom Jesus came to save. And it's exactly me, the sinner, who Jesus came to save. And so, as Jesus is drawing near to these people, the Pharisees and the scribes just, they hate it. Because a religious man was supposed to distance himself from these sinners, not go toward them, not move toward them and eat with them and interact with them. And Jesus knows what's in these Pharisees and scribes' heart. And he's, he's mentioned this before. If you go back and you look at uh, Luke 7, John the Baptist's disciples come to Christ and, and they say, hey, are you Jesus? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, go back and just tell them all that you've seen and heard. And then Jesus turns to the crowd after John the Baptist's disciples leave and he says, look, John came, he didn't eat any bread, he didn't drink any wine, and these Pharisees and scribes called him a demon. And then Jesus says, and then I come... 
and I eat bread, and I drink, and they call me a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so what Jesus is pointing out here is the Pharisees, this is not just a rule-keeping deal for the Pharisees. This is an attitude of their heart, that as they look at these broken, unclean people, that in their heart, they despise them. And all they want is to be different from them. They want to be seen as clean and holy. And that's their goal as they interact with these people, to look as little like them as they can. But that doesn't satisfy the heart of Jesus. Those Pharisees and lawyers, they did everything they could to move away from those people. And yet Jesus moves toward them. And knowing what's in those Pharisees' hearts, that hatred, that, that pride, Jesus turns to those people and gives these three parables. That's extremely important as we interpret these passages. Because when we come to this passage about the lost sheep, we often look at those 99 who need no repentance as people who are already saved and in the church. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I think what Jesus is saying here, based on his audience, is they're the 99 people who think they need no repentance, who don't realize the condition of their heart, who don't look at the lost and see value in those people and go after them. But these are people who puff themselves up, are self-righteous, and want nothing to do with the broken and the unclean. Here's what I want us to see. That the one that is lost has so much value in the eyes of God that God gives so that they might be saved and he forgives so that they might be saved. And it's, God is, he, he gives so much. In this passage here, he, he is pursuing the lost. He's not just inviting the lost to come to him. He's not waiting on them to make a move. God is moving toward the unclean and the broken. And we know that because Christ was in heaven. And he gave that up to come to this earth as a frail man, subject to hunger and fatigue and ridicule. And yet he came to pursue not the 99 who think they've got it all together, but the one who knows he's unclean, he's broken, and he's lost without a hope in Christ. He pursues because he sees that lost soul as valuable. And I think we need to ask ourselves a question, me included. So I'm not preaching from, I've got all this together, this is never a struggle for me, let me beat you over the head with this. Preach from a broken heart, realizing that I have failed so many times to pursue lost souls like that. That I'm like the Pharisee. I'm just happy being different. I'm just happy being clean and they're dirty and that's the end of that. But how do we respond to those who are lost? How do you respond to those who 
are lost and the hate in their heart just comes out in just political venom. What about for those whose heart doesn't know Jesus, they're not secure in an identity in Christ because they lack the Holy Spirit, and so their sexuality is twisted. What about the one that you see who's totally controlled by drugs or alcohol? Do you tend to move toward those people, pursue them as Christ pursued us? Are you happy just to move away and say, I'm clean and they're dirty and that's just how it's going to be? Do we look at those people and say, that's just disgusting? Or do you, from a heart like God's, sacrifice for them? Do you give? Do you find ways to build bridges into their lives so that the gospel, the only source of hope that they would have, do you build a bridge into that life so that you can take Christ to them? Church, the way that we love those people is equal to the way that we love Jesus. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow because I stink at it so often. But to the degree that you love those broken, rotten sinners is the degree to which you really do love Jesus. I know that's heavy. But we have been called to go and make disciples, to be like Jesus. And nowhere is our Christ-likeness more evident to the world than when we go to these kind of people and love them and serve them and take the gospel to them in word and deed. Later in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell a parable where there's a tax collector and a Pharisee praying. And you're familiar with this. The Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like this sinner. Now, how would you feel on Sunday morning if we stood up and we're praying and somebody said of you, thank goodness I'm not like that guy or that girl. The pain that's got to feel. But then you have the tax collector who's, who Jesus says he's standing at the back of the church, can't even lift his head, and he just says, have mercy on me, God a sinner. And Christ very clearly says, one is condemned and the other is justified. And so often for me in my life, when I see those things happening, when I hear the political garbage being proclamated, when I see people who support abortion fighting for laws that legalize that. When I see someone whose broken sexuality rules their world, most of the time I just pray what the Pharisee prays. Man, thank God I'm not like that person. And man, I think that breaks the heart of God. Because that's what we see. Chapter 15 in Luke, 
we get, there's so many lessons there that we could learn. But I think what, what Luke is trying to communicate in this one chapter is here is the heart of God. This is your father's compassion on you and others who are broken and sinful. Listen, if you are saved, your salvation is not just for your personal enjoyment. Your salvation comes with a commission to go to these kinds of people and to love them well and to speak to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, that's Christ's heart. He knew we were a complete wreck. He knew we were going to rebel. He knew that we were sinful. And yet he gave up heaven and he comes to earth and he takes on flesh to pursue us. Not just to throw it out there and say, if you want it, come get it. But he goes after sinful people. His heart is broken for the lost. So our Savior is a giving Savior. I love the beginning of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, He gave. And it wasn't a small thing He gave. He gave His only Son to be murdered. Innocent man, speaking of justice that we just talked about. Innocent man, nailed to the cross for a bunch of rebels. And then we interact with these people that are broken, don't think like us, they don't look like us, they don't talk like us. And we don't give time, we don't give effort, we don't figure out ways to build bridges into their lives. We just try to get as far, as far away from them as we can. Because as long as we're clean, we're good. But that wasn't good enough for Jesus, and I'm very, very thankful. And if you're in Christ, you ought to be very, very thankful as well. Our Savior is a very giving Savior. But here's the even better news. That our Savior is a Savior who forgives. So if you're here and you're like, this is heavy. I feel convicted. You know, I haven't done enough evangelism. I've got these people in my life that I haven't reached out to, that I haven't spent time with, that I haven't tried to build a bridge into their life. I've just, you know, condemned them or at least just ran away and said, look, I'm clean and they're dirty. That there's forgiveness for that in Christ. And that by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to do those things, pursue those lost people, to look at them differently as something of value. I mean, that's the other thing in, in all these parables in 15. Something of value is lost, and it's not like they just throw their hands up and say, oh man, wish we could find that. They, they go all out. They make sacrifices. The lost coin, they sweep all the whole house looking for it. The father is waiting. I mean, he's anticipating. Come on, And he sees the son, and he runs across the field to meet the son. Do we see lost people like that? And if not, there's forgiveness in the Lord. Okay, you don't have to walk out with your head hanging low saying, I'll never get this right. No, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God in you 
And God forgives. And not only does he forgive, he doesn't forgive begrudgingly. So if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God does not begrudgingly forgive you. He joyfully forgives you. If you've asked for forgiveness three times or 3,000 times, he joyfully forgives. Now, how do I know? Look at verse 7 here in chapter 15. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That when you lay your heart in front of Christ and you say, I've messed up, I've fallen short, I realize that I'm broken. It's not like God says, all right, I'll forgive. No, he joyfully forgives. Go back to verse 5 and and listen to how Luke describes, or this is Jesus, how he describes what's going on once the lost sheep is found. Verse 5, and when he has found it, the lost sheep, he he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. For I found my sheep that was lost, just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Does that sound like a God who forgives begrudgingly? Whose arms are crossed when sinners repent and he just says, well, I guess I just got to do it. Here's Adam again, asking for forgiveness for the same thing again. No, he joyfully forgives. So if, like I said, if you're here and you're convicted about your lack of compassion on the lost, there's forgiveness in Christ. Not begrudging forgiveness, but real joyful, lavish love of the Father kind of forgiveness. But maybe you're here and, and you feel like I, I've never given my life to Christ, that I've done way too much sin to ever be loved by God. Well, guess what? Come to God through Christ, and you'll receive the joyful forgiveness of God the Father. Put your faith in Christ. Trust in Him. Repent just means to turn away from your sin and turn toward Jesus Christ. And follow Him, and not your unclean and broken heart. God's eager to forgive. He joyfully washes away your sins through the blood of Christ. Turn, turn over to Luke 19. I want to end with this. Luke 19. I want to read about the triumphal entry. I know that's, it's not Easter. Okay. I'm ahead of schedule. Does this just be a warm up for a few weeks from now? Spoiler alert. Okay. If you haven't read about Palm Sunday. Here it comes. All right, verse 28. And when he had said these things, when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that's called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, those who were sent went away, and there's my favorite part, and found it just as he had told them. 
Words of Christ are reliable. Just like the ones when he said, he joyfully forgives, it's true, okay? Verse 32, verse 33. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here is this group of broken, unclean sinners that Jesus pursued, and they saw Christ and they believed. They believed in that joyful forgiveness. They believed that he was God in the flesh. And they are following him and they are praising his name. It's a beautiful group of people here. But unfortunately, there's another group involved. Look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these are silent, the very stones would cry out. You have people who are very aware of their sin that run to Christ and find that joyful forgiveness in him. And you have people who think they're clean, they have it all together, and don't see any need for repentance. Jesus died for both. So whatever, wherever you find yourself this morning, if you say, well, that's me, I've just seen myself as clean, not really in need of repentance, I've got it all together, I'm a religious person, Christ died for you. So that you could repent of your own goodness, your own religiosity and come to Christ but if you're here like me and you feel very aware of your sin very aware that you've failed in reaching the lost and reaching out to the lost and trying to build bridges into their lives and you've been perfectly happy with just keeping your distance there's forgiveness in Christ for that as well my prayer for us church is that you and I will recognize the sin in our own hearts. We'll repent of it. We'll experience the joyful forgiveness that God provides through Christ. And in that joy, and full of that spirit, we will go after the lost with all our being. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that, Lord, you, through your Spirit, have opened our eyes to our sin. And, Lord, we just come before you now to thank you and ask that, Lord, where we have failed in this area of seeking the lost, befriending and loving the broken, would you forgive us? And would you empower us to overcome our fears and our uncertainties about reaching the lost that we may be salt and light to somebody outside these walls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.